Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian... How are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today is Beth Mantle, Tim Foss, and Mickey Turner. How is it going, everyone? It's very hot. Still. It is. Yeah. Not great. Uh, less hot than it was yesterday, though. Today feels like a reprieve to me. I don't know about you guys, but yesterday was unbearable. Today is just uncomfortable. Yeah, not having AC in my apartment. I spent all of yesterday like hopping from one cool place to another with my dog to try to make sure that he survived. Uh, and today I've like been able to stay at home all day without feeling like I was going to melt. So that's an improvement. Yeah, the, the listeners obviously won't be able to see this, but I, I in honor of this, to kind of get in the mood, I, I have a, I think it's a Fijian background. Uh, so, you know, this is the, the, the world we live in now, apparently where Seattle gets up to 108. Was that what it was? This is crazy, crazy times we're living in. Uh, but what, okay, let's do this. Beth, what did you do to keep you? You had it tough too. You like, you're down in where Kent? I'm in Puyallup. Yeah. It was supposed Puyallup? to be like 110. One of oh the my days God. I, um, my best friend actually has air conditioning. So I went to her house yesterday to do my zoom classes and things. And that was very fun. Cause it was like 92 in my house. Yeah, it was so, my fave. Yeah, it was, I think my house may have actually got up to 95, which was inhumane. Uh, last night we slept in the basement and I woke up drenched in sweat. Uh, since we're on this tip, Mickey, would you, you want to share what you did to get through yesterday? Uh, well, I'm in uh, what would be considered the bad place uh, in uh, Auburn. Uh, we actually do have air conditioning. Unfortunately, it is all centralized in the bathroom. Uh, oh, ideal. Why is the air conditioning all in the bathroom? I do not know how this house was set up, but uh, blame my uh, roommate uh, slash uh, landlord for uh, for that. Uh, I'll have to have a talk with him about getting uh, air conditioning flowing through the rest of the house. Why? You know, I don't. That does not seem like the ideal place to put air conditioning. That's maybe the last place I would want air conditioning. Agreed. Agreed. As someone whose bathroom is the hottest room in the apartment, Same. I would much rather. <laughs> that be the one air conditioned place than sweating immediately the second you enter the bathroom. I was trying That's... to do my skincare routine and I was drenched in sweat. And I was like, this isn't, I feel like this is bad for my skin. Maybe I spend less time in the bathroom because it was just so hot. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not really into the, into the heat. Uh, that's part of what I love about Seattle is that I got away from this. I, I spent a, a good amount of my, uh, most of my life in California and had some hundred degrees. I don't know if I've 
no, I've definitely had a 108 degree day. I lived in, in the high desert for a while and we every now and then would get that high. Uh, but it's a dry heat, as they say. This was not a dry heat yesterday. So that was pretty brutal. Um, but speaking of heat, how about them sounders? <laughs> they are still pretty hot. They are. Be they are. Uh, the tie from Saturday, notwithstanding, the, they're on a good roll. You know, there was a seven point week. I wrote this week that I was I found more to be encouraged by by that seven point week than discouraged by by the by the tie on Saturday, in part because I you know I think you can really chalk Saturdays up to a bit of fluke. You know, they they had some good chances. They finished two of them, and the two chances they gave up are quite possibly the only two chances like that that they'll give up all year. Uh, AB Sissoko gets beat for speed. Stephen Cleveland comes, you know, I don't know. We can maybe talk about the, the decision to come out there and where we, we lay blame on Sissoko versus Cleveland. And then the other one, Shane O'Neill just kind of whiffs on a, on a header, but beyond that, it's a handball. Uh, and I'll admit that like, let's just start there live. I was not totally convinced it should be overturned, but then after watching the instant replay uh, feature on MLSsoccer.com. I think it's pretty hard to deny that you can see his arm move after the ball hits it and the ball and the rotation of the ball changes. I'm, you know, and I'm inclined to think those are things that should have been caught by VAR. And like a, one angle of the play where it doesn't look like a handball. And yes. I swear that's the only one they looked at. If, and that's when they showed the other angles show the ball changing and like right. his arms moving downwards and the ball comes off his arm. If right. you pick the one where it's not clear and obvious, like, stop it don't do that and if there's one player that doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt it is cavallini oh my Uh, god probably should have been off in that game anyway the 22nd minute that could have been a red card yeah absolutely and you know just speaking of the game generally uh yeah i kind of agree with your take jeremiah i think i tweeted out that you know if if the sounders had tied the galaxy game and won vancouver Mm -hmm. uh, i don't think anybody would really be complaining about Seven point week. Not that really people are you know massively complaining now, um, and I think it was you know a good week overall. You can't complain really about getting seven out of nine when you play one of them on the road. And as far as the Vancouver game, yeah, I, I kind of chalked it up to being a fluke mostly. Uh, you know, the first goal, I you know I have I have to put that mostly on Sissoko for getting beat. Um, Cleveland makes a decision. I don't really have any problem with what he tried to do at that point because Sissoko was behind the ball and there was no one else coming in to really uh, help out. So right. what's he going to do? Is he just going to stay on his line and, and hope that uh, Dijon misses? Uh, no. So that's that's fine. And you know, the second goal we kind of just talked about that that probably should have been pulled back, uh, even if it was O'Neill you know, kind of flubbing his lines in the first place. But overall, I thought it was a good week of games. They got seven out of nine. Like we said, they're still in the Supporters Shield, uh, uh, top of the Supporters Shield race. So, you know, all things considered, uh, you know, they're looking pretty good at this point. And, you know, uh, you know, all wanted upward. And now they got a tough game on the road against uh, Colorado. I, I think the, the Cavallini goal is frustrating because – that is one of the areas that the recent or most recent handball rule change was supposed to specifically target is offensive players not benefiting from right. committing a handball. Uh, and like 
And to, I, and to clarify, to clarify, the rule is not that they purposely handled the ball. It's that they gained any advantage at all from handling the ball. And so it's supposed to take out all the gray area from the handball rule and just say, if the ball hits your hand and you score, it's not a goal, but go on Tim. Right. And I, I think just sort of on the idea of VAR, which we, we know they did do a brief review. They didn't Mm -hmm. have uh, the center ref go and look because they didn't feel like it was enough to overturn necessarily, but none of us want, VAR in MLS to become what it is in the Premier League, where it is this infuriating, like measurement of millimeters to decide if a player was onside or offside because his aura extended beyond <laughs> the last defender. And it just is nonsense and it causes these huge stoppages. But the whole purpose of VAR is to get calls right. And that is like, by definition a wrong call that could have been corrected and wasn't um i think regardless either or both of cleveland and o'neill should have done better on that play the other goal is frustrating i think again either or both of sissoko or cleveland could have played that better the fact that they didn't it's unfortunate, but like that was effectively the only foot Sissoka put wrong all game. He missed a single pass, and it was a cross field switch from inside midfield. Like he played incredibly. That was the only tackle he missed. Cleveland has largely been great. He's been up to the challenge every time he's been asked. He's kept the Sounders in games. It wasn't his best game. He still had a save that earned them a point effectively at the end of the first half that if he doesn't make that incredible save, they probably lose, maybe lose. I don't know. But um, yeah, on the whole, I think just a weird game. It was played really hot. It's a rivalry game. They're always going to be weird. A seven-point week is a good week even if they've tied three of their last four home games they're still undefeated still a good team they did it without two of their three first choice center backs without their starting goalkeeper without Nicola Darrow like all things considered it's not a bad result yeah I know after the match I think it was Brian said that the heat did not factor into the match but as someone that was like insanely close to the field like second row GA it was really hot down there like I got to the point at the end of the game where like I had to sit down and people were force feeding me M&Ms because like I was about to pass out like it was very hot (laughs) and I do think we saw some uncharacteristic decision making lapses from Alex Roldan in the first half I think A.B. Sissoko Shane O'Neill Stephen Cleveland everyone was just a bit hazy it felt like, like, I don't think they usually make those choices and make those mistakes. Cause I mean, we've been extremely good defensively and I do think the heat probably played into like the weird decision-making that we saw, or at least played a factor into that. I don't want to like excuse them being messy because it was, those were messy goals, but it was, it was nasty down there. Like it was really hot. You know, it was, it was funny because I was, I was sitting in a, in a climate controlled press box and by the end of the game, 
I remember thinking, this isn't too bad. And then having to catch myself and being like, no, I've got air conditioning and I'm not outside. This is probably why it's not too bad. It was so hot. There were people with like spray bottles of water and they were just going around the section like spraying people. And that was that was the nicest part of the match. Yeah, it was not an ideal situation. There was it was funny. There ended up being a bit of a kerfuffle uh, online over the over the temperature because everyone everyone quote with i'm using air quotes there uh said that their phone said it was 99 which best i can tell was the re- was the official reading from SeaTac, which is you know 10 miles away or so and and they said that on the air and uh that's you know that was officially the temperature in seattle that day or at kickoff but uh so like my phone pulls i was using a, a an app that was pulling the temperature from uh, King five station, which is connected to T-Mobile, which is across the street. And that said it was only 93, I think. And then the sounders somehow came up with a game time temperature of 90. I have no, I still have not been able to figure out where they got that from, but that, so that at least according to them was the official temperature was 90. That seems to have been off. But then Elias, again, I don't know where Elias gets their information from. They had 95. So anyway, a lot of variance because there's a big difference between 90 and 99, uh, and it's the difference, frankly, between it being the hottest kickoff at, at CenturyLink or Lumen Field in history and, and not, because uh, the, the, the record was 91. Uh, back in 2015, I guess, they played against Dallas, apparently. And I don't remember that game particularly well. But um, it was hot. And I think 90 was probably wrong. And I would be inclined to believe that 99 was closer to right. But people were very mad online at me for suggesting that the official temperature was 90. I mean, uh, if you were saying it's 90 and that's how bad it felt, like, I think I have a bad grasp of what temperatures feel like. Fair. That's uh, totally fair. I'm just saying I was just the messenger. I wasn't, I wasn't giving my personal opinion of how hot it was. Uh, but the other thing that people I think were probably upset is that you mentioned the Sounders have now tied three of their last four home games. You know, who's been manning Twitter on all three of those games, this guy, and who's been uh, running Twitter on their wins? This lady. It's me. Right here. Surprise. So, yeah, uh, we're, we're going to have to figure something out there because that we can't continue this. Uh, I, when we went down 2-1, I was like, you know what? Hail Mary time. I'm, yes. finding, I'm finding a summoning circle tweet. I'm, pay, I'm tweeting it. We're going to yes. see if it works. And apparently and the magic still works. It was a bit yeah. delayed. But it worked. It was. It was. And so the that was that that came uh luckily, luckily, it came before Madranda's goal, which was a, a perfect summoning circle type of goal. Uh, I thought it was very well taken. Uh, and that's a wonderful transition into talking about Jimmy Madranda, who came off the bench. Uh the Sounders changed formations when he came on instead of playing uh a three five two, or as maybe we'll talk about later, a three four three uh in a lot of ways. But uh, anyway, they, they switched into a, a 4-2-3-1, which is a more familiar formation for this team, but they haven't used it a lot this year. And we saw Jimmy Madranda essentially as a left midfielder. Uh, he played about uh, 25 minutes or so in this game. He was, again, very effective. What did y'all make of Jimmy Madranda? Uh, I thought, even aside from his goal, he was, again, he was effective. He was in the middle of a lot of you know dangerous chances. Yeah, I like... And Spencer said this after the game, he's, he's very versatile. And so they can use him in a variety of uh, positions in a variety of formations, which is going to be very helpful, obviously, yeah, coming down the uh, stretch here as they uh, move into the summer. 
And yeah, he's been, you know, he's been everything that they said he, uh, they, they were high on him about when they acquired him, uh, you know, at the end of last year. Um, but for the fact that injuries had really just derailed the last two parts of his, uh, his last two years of his season or his career. And yeah, he's just, he, he provides a little bit of a bite in his game. He is got, he's got a little bit of flair. He's obviously got a good shot. Um, and just does a lot of uh, everything well and provides them something that they, uh, don't really have, uh, from that position, you know, uh, Brad Smith, who we can probably talk about in, in a little bit, uh, you know, probably had his best game. Um, but I think it's just nice to have that kind of platoon potentially um, at the, you know, when they're in that uh, three, four, th- two, one, or whatever you want to call it, um, when he's more of a wing back uh, as opposed to being uh, uh, left mid. And so, yeah, it's nice to have that um, kind of versatility um, available and it's going to serve them well, I think, the rest of the year. He was. You know, he, it's interesting when you see him playing this well, it's a little hard to square the circle of why was he available for effectively, you know, he was he was kind of like a make weight in the trade that the Sounders sent Hanwal Buana to Nashville, uh, where they got some allocation money. And Madranda was just kind of like a player that got thrown into the deal. And it's a little hard to like, I, I mean, I suppose you can just chalk it up completely to health. He's had a hard time staying his last fully healthy year i think was 2017 he got hurt in 2018 and he really hasn't gotten fully fit since then and and these games that he's played this year might be you know the most consistent playing time he's had since that first injury in 2018 but you know you you see him play and he looks good as a left back he looks good as a left midfielder we my understanding is that he's played quite a bit in central midfield as well I'm actually really, and I'm really amped about him being in some ways like a midfield or a midseason acquisition because all of a sudden the Sounders realize they have this extra piece that is versatile and can be an attacking piece. He's, you know, like you said, he he's good defensively. Uh, do we think he's got potential to actually unseat Brad Smith as the first choice left back? I I think if he can get to a place where he's fit and healthy enough to be a consistent starter I don't see a good reason why he shouldn't at least be able to take a run at that spot Um, I think that's probably open competition for that left wing or left back position um, particularly for how the Sounders want to play Jimmy Madronda seems like a much better fit for a possession-based game. And, I mean, that goal was coming for him. He had had multiple really would have been absolute galazos if he had put them away and just kind of missed by not a lot. And that hit that he had for his goal was absolutely incredible. Um, So if he can offer that from a wingback position and you know, be able to help in possession and serve in a final ball every once in a while. I definitely think he's a better option. Um, I did not expect to think that even three weeks ago. Um, I for sure, I mean, I don't watch a ton of sporting Kansas City, so I wasn't super aware. I knew that 
he had been well regarded when he was playing a lot there, but definitely saw him just as sort of like a make weight in that trade who might stick around, maybe not. We'll see. And now he seems like the Sounders really came out ahead in that trade. Yeah, I mean, I think when we when we signed him, it felt a little bit odd because we were drowning in left backs at the time, yeah. which I think is why it made sense to pick him up because we had the time to let him get healthy. Like we had the time to rehab him entirely and not push him because we didn't need another left back at that time. And I think it's also great now that we've gotten rid of some of those left backs that we still have Brad Smith. Like if he's not, if he's not healthy enough to play these three game weeks like we still have a very serviceable left back mm-hmm. to kind of take on some of those minutes that we might need Jimmy to not play to save him for the rest of the season so I think we ended up in a good situation with two quite good left backs and that are both able to play in a way where we're not ruining one or the other um, like we're not going to flame Jimmy out too early in the season because we need him to play these three game weeks yeah, and it's worth noting that Brad Smith has had issues with injuries as well. And so if you can get him some rest, you've got to imagine that keeping him sharp, keeping him fit uh, is only going to contribute. Uh, I, I know there was some mixed feelings a little bit about Brad Smith's uh, performance. I agree with Mickey. I thought overall he was pretty good. I thought that the Sounders actually could have used him even more than they did. You know, they as it was, they he had one of his top uh, games in terms of just raw touches and and passes received. Uh, so the Sounders were using him, but they still had a few more opportunities to get him in. You know, there was one chance uh, towards the end of the second half where uh, he had tried to work a one-two with Freddie Montero, and it looked like he he got the corner, and Montero just couldn't get it. Kind of looked like he kind of stumbled a little bit before he could get him the ball. Uh, but there was some there. I, I thought the Sounders generally looked pretty dangerous in this game, and I think that's probably what I find most encouraging about the performance was that they were creating chances, you know, obviously Madranda's wasn't necessarily a high probability chance. You know, he, he hits a first time shot from the top of the penalty area, not the highest XG on that one, but they had a bunch of other looks, you know, one that really stuck out to me. I was just rewatching the game today. Uh, Brad Smith put a very good cross right through the box and he had uh, Raul Rui Diaz at the near post. He had Freddie Montero basically in the center of the of the goal. And then he had Christian Roldan at the far post. And somehow he hit the pass that it basically went a little bit behind Rui Diaz. It went, it was a little bit too hard for uh, Montero to get there, although it was kind of right at him. And then Roldan was a little re- late to react. And so it was too f- far in front of him. And if any one of those three players makes contact with the ball and puts it on frame, it's probably a goal. Uh, so, you know, those are the kind of things that I'm encouraged by. I thought Danny Leva played very well in this one. You know, he didn't get a ton of time, but he, he put in some dangerous passes. He was active defensively. I thought in, in a lot of ways, it was probably his best game. Uh, but the other player I wanted to talk about was Kellen Rowe, who I guess we've seen him play right back, uh, briefly before, but he got a little bit, you know, he, he got to play with stoppage time close to about 12 minutes this game in place of Alex Roldan, I thought Kellen Rowe looked pretty good as a, as a right back. And, and that's been the big question mark on this roster is who backs up Alex uh, if he gets hurt or as is starting to look more and more likely if he goes to the gold cup. Uh, now it looks like Kellen Rowe could maybe handle that. We haven't, you know, it was the centers were chasing the game a little bit when he came in, but I was pleased with what we saw. 
Yeah, uh, I think the right back position or, or the, the, depth of the right back position has been something they we've been talking about a little bit since, you know, before the season started. We all penciled in uh, Alex is essentially the starter, um, even though Schmetzer says he's still kind of learning position and trying to, you know, to win the job. But I think, you know, we can all, by all accounts, he's got that position locked down at this point. But we didn't know who was really going to play there. And Schmetzer did talk about Rowe playing there uh, as a uh, as a second a secondary option. And so, yeah, it's, it's nice to know that they have somewhere, someone who can play that position and do a decent job of it. Obviously Christian can play there as well, but they're not going to want to play him if Alex goes up to gold cup and that's assuming Christian doesn't get called there as well. Um, and so, yeah, they absolutely need someone there who can do a job, you know, for the month of July, essentially, if, if, if one or both of them are gone. And so, yeah, it's, yeah. Definitely something. Uh, it's good to see that he was able to, you know, play there, uh, play there well. Uh, he can, you know, put in a cross. He's got, I, you know, I've been impressed with his defense this year. Um, just generally speaking, uh, he's he's gotten stuck in. He's got he's he's aggressive, and so yeah, it's going to be nice uh, to have that as a potential option. I think it's it's really nice with. The Sounders still having somewhat of a short roster currently. Um, having both Kellen Rowe and Jimmy Wadronda, who are veteran players in the league, who play at a really high level, their ceilings are pretty high, their floors are not particularly low, and they can play between them maybe everything but keeper and striker you know that and Roe actually played as a wide forward uh in one game so yeah so i mean you you have high quality depth everywhere with those two they can both start they can come off the bench and be impact subs wherever you play them um it it definitely is helpful especially going into the gold cup you potentially lose both rolled ons. You could play Kellen Rowe and Jimmy Madronda in midfield and at right wing back. Um, I think with right back slash right wing back, uh, we had heard multiple times that Ethan Dobelair could be an option at that spot. He just got his first start in that position with Tacoma. The results were decent, maybe not super exciting, but for the first time that we've seen him there, it wasn't bad. So yeah, that's they, another I mean, option as well. They have, yeah, I don't know that he's ready to start there, but it was, it's good to see that the Sounders are looking for options. Uh, they also have Issa Ryan at, at Defiance. That would be a little bit more of an emergency type of situation that would require them actually signing him. I don't necessarily think, think that's going to be happening. But, uh, you know, I, I thought it was, it was encouraging to see Roe play there. I, I think we'll almost certainly see him playing a bit more there. Josh Atencio also came back to this game. You know, he didn't have a super active game. I don't know that, you know, I haven't seen any data on how much ground he covered. And that was sort of his calling card in the first two games, but he did have a tackle that was really well done that contributed to the first goal. Second game in a row that the Sounders have essentially turned a midfield tackle like that into a counterattacking goal. I think that's super encouraging because those feel like the kind of things that are a little bit more repeatable that are uh, something you can kind of build around a bit. And, uh, and he made a good decision as well uh, in feeding Brad Smith along the wing 
And then, uh, and then Smith made a great pass to Rui Diaz, who made a great run by kind of pulling off the, the center back, creating some space and putting it away. Ninth goal in, in 11 games. Uh, he is on quite a run. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's mostly just, you know, the, the top line of this is I think if you look at this game in an honest way, you can be frustrated by the result. And it's definitely, you know, I, I would say there's some concern over the fact that the Sounders have now dropped points to three of their last four uh, home opponents, and all three of those teams are outside the playoffs. So I, I suppose there's some concern over playing down to the opponent. But at the same time, you look at the at their overall record, and yes, it's home heavy, uh, and it's probably they're probably not going to be able to maintain a you know a, a plus two uh, points per game on the road the way that they are doing right now. But these are you know as long as they're getting results at on the road, it's hard to be too worried about not getting full points at home. And you know this is a team that's set up well right now. You know they. Uh, they have Colorado, which I think is probably going to be a big test for them. Uh, Colorado, I think there's a perception that maybe they're not that good. They are actually pretty good. Uh, they, they are you know, probably a top five team in the West. And uh, so that'll be a good test for them on the 4th of July. But overall, I just think not much to be too upset about, especially given all the mitigating circumstances that are going on. Yeah, Colorado. Uh, I guess looking ahead a little bit, there. I you know I, I rate them a little higher than I probably would have initially thought coming into the year, and they gave the Sounders trouble last year. Yeah, and I think the game uh, that game uh, the Sounders were down to about their last uh, six or seven players uh, because of international uh, duty and what have you. Um, but yeah, they're they're a solid team. They've got they're well coached, uh, and it's and you're going to be playing at altitude, which is never an easy thing. Um, and so I think just generally speaking, it's going to be a good test for them on the road. Uh, probably there's their, you know, I guess, you know, they, they were able to get a result against LAFC and, and uh, beat the Galaxy, who, whose number they seem to have over the last couple of years. But Colorado's playing them tough um, on the road. And so I would expect uh, that this will be their probably toughest test, a uh, road test at least uh, to date, uh, because LAFC again has looked, you know, so pedestrian this year. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be a good one, um, I think. And, you know, I think they, they clearly got the talent to, to continue their road run, um, especially with a full week of rest now. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a good game. And I think the big question most of our listeners are going to want to know is, is Beth going to be back running Twitter uh, for this game? Yes, I am. Um, I'm going to get my patriotic summoning circles ready. Um, oh, yeah. good. It should be a good time. Yes. Uh, any other any other uh, notes to, to send us out on? No? Good. I think we should continue being unbeaten next week. Yeah. Let's make that our goal. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great goal. And, uh, and why not? You know, go into the goal. I think Sounders can get to the Gold Cup unbeaten. Take anyone you want, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that like that's a good way to that's a good way to end this thing. Uh, I am Jeremiah O'Shan, signing off on behalf of Beth Mantle, Tim Foss, and Mickey Turner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and uh, we will catch you next time.